Hello, and welcome to episode 201 of the In Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and today we're joined by our regular co-hosts, Sylvia Wassenaar. Hello. And Rosalie, the little record girl. Hello. So we got quite a bit of news and new releases to cover this week, so let's jump right into that with our latest Nintendo news. Now, a particular weakness, I think, of our coverage on this podcast is we don't cover Nintendo's corporate behavior that much, and uh, we can get into the reasons why that is a little later, but uh, it's not been a particularly positive week for Nintendo of America, at least. They have received another complaint from the National Labor Relations Board, as reported by Axios, game developer, and... Taku, among others, uh, that one of their many contract workers was let go for, uh, according to Nintendo, uh, discussing confidential information. Uh, according to the fired contractor, it was because they were discussing their pay and unionizing. And this is a serious problem in the United States in our corporate culture with the way that things have been constructed. Uh, for the longest time, companies would only hire part-time workers and they would kick you out the door when you get to 39 hours uh, so they wouldn't have to pay you benefits. Uh, finally, things changed under President Obama and his administration and, and Congress at that time uh, that companies were no longer allowed to do that. So they just changed to uh, making everybody a contract worker instead of a part-time worker. And uh, they're treated much worse in terms of uh, benefits that they're provided and pay and how often they are employed for, often 10 to 11 months at a time, than with a, a decent break in between before their contract suddenly gets renewed. Just generally treated worse interpersonally as well. And this has become a real problem uh, as far as these complaints being filed. Uh, the most egregious case I saw was somebody who was commuting to Nintendo of America to work, uh, slipped on some ice and hit her head. And luckily, when she got to work, they had an on-site clinic. Not so luckily for this worker because she was not a full-time employee. She was not allowed to visit the clinic. She opted to uh, go to an emergency clinic nearby uh, with being given a ride by a full-time employee, but nope, that's not allowed. Uh, full-time employees are not allowed to transport contract workers away from campus, <laughs> so this person uh, finally left in an Uber to get to the hospital to find out why they were having difficulty reading after hitting their head, and that's just absolutely a ridiculous story, yet it's something that happened at Nintendo of America. Obviously none of this is good. Uh, do we have anything to say about this besides just this is unacceptable and just a horrible way to treat people? Yeah, uh, I think it's it's definitely, it's. I'm not giving them a pass, but it's a thing of the wider gaming industry, not mm -hmm, specifically mm -hmm. Nintendo, because the gaming industry isn't unionized, and it really, really, really should be. Um, there's a studio here, which I won't name, so we don't get into trouble. As a lot of you do know, I'm in Scotland, so you can probably work out who it is. Uh, I've known many people who've worked there, and there was one time where people were all let go without warning, and people just came on, 
came up to you, tapped on your shoulder while you were working and said, please leave. Mm-hmm. Um, there was people that on a big famous game was coming out. Uh, their holidays were cancelled without their consent and they were forbidden to leave the city. The CEO of the company was doing class A drugs at their desk at 10 o'clock in the morning. There's a lot of misogyny and just it, it's it's a wider, especially with like AAA studios, there's a lot of horrendous stuff that goes on. The gaming industry as a whole just needs to unionise because especially like with pay and everything, it's just horrendous. It's like every story you hear just is more upsetting and insane. And I know it's a bit it's a bit different here because we don't have, because um, you were talking about getting benefits and stuff, you can get employee benefits here, but obviously because we have the NHS, there's not like a big thing about us getting our health insurance, which I use a, obviously a huge mm-hmm. issue in the States. Yeah, it's a huge, like they will literally use that against you. <laughs> they'll use it as a reason to hire you and then they'll use it as a reason to uh, keep you from asking for better. Yeah, which I can't even imagine. But then here we have a thing called zero hour contracts for jobs where like basically you'll you'll work at a company, but you don't know. Maybe for a couple of weeks you'll get no hours and that's just tough. <laughs> uh, and a lot of people are trying to get rid of that um, and things like that can happen in the industry too. It's, yeah, it's just... I think because Nintendo is like the family friendly, you know, a lot of us grew up with it. It's like, yay, happy, happy times. But I think you can't, you know, you should be free to criticize the things you love. And if you're really, if you're a part of the games industry, you work in it or you're really fanatical about it, like we are, you, you know, you can't ignore a lot of the stuff that goes on. And I think bringing it up, even just talking about it kind of does something because it makes someone, someone might not be aware of it as well. Well, and speaking of the U.S., and uh, our culture, like it, it is illegal to fire somebody for speaking out against, you know, the uh, how you feel mm-hmm. your company is behaving, or even, you know, you are allowed to organize a union and you are allowed to discuss your pay with your fellow coworkers, regardless of what the company wants to say, what policies they want to put in. It's illegal for them to say you can't do it. Uh, a lot of the time what happens is they'll find some other reason to fire you yeah uh when when the real reason is actually because uh you know you're a a unionizing troublemaker so (laughs) it's like uh, i don't know yeah i don't know how it is there but we have like employment law which is like specific to our country but then when you start start a job you sign a contract like if you work in retail there's like a legal thing i don't know the exact things because it's been a while since i've been in retail but you legally you, you can't work if your shifts are like less than 12 hours apart for like health Mm. reasons but then if you start a job at a a supermarket or something the contract will say well we might want you to work like go against that law and when you sign that you're kind of waiving that and like and you can't you can't be fired without you have to get a disciplinary for the same thing like three times but then there's all these workarounds it's like i always say like hr and game companies they're not for the staff therefore to protect the company <laughs> which is really scary but i think that's the same in every country and it's not to say that nintendo doesn't frequently do these kind of things but we also infrequently address it on this show mm-hmm. and that's that's for another a number of reasons it's not an editorial mandate Anybody who wants to put any topic into the show notes can, and we've never removed anything from the show notes for any reason uh, other than, you know, just agreeing maybe we, we don't want to cover that. 
but never for any political reason have we ever removed anything from the show notes. No, I think that's why we've got a good team as well, because we're all quite... Um, we're all, Even though we're all from very different countries, <laughs> we all have very kind of similar backgrounds and how we feel about similar things, and we're all quite open about things, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, and also... The focus of the show from the start has always been the games, which mm-hmm. is a cop-out that a lot of people use. Like, it's not about the politics, it's about the games. <laughs> but it, it's difficult sometimes because if we put ourselves in a situation where we feel obligated to cover the corporate news and the political news, then that slowly starts to take over the show. and. Uh, I, I would rather talk about the games yeah. <laughs> and address address the other things as they come up. Like Stephanie Sterling's show is very entertaining, but it gets very repetitive sometimes. Uh, Activision is doing this and Ubisoft is doing that. And it's like, yeah, it's all they ever do. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. why many of the people on our show just refuse to play their games, which I completely support. But at the same time, not much is changing. We need to do more than just do funny news shows about how bad the corporations are because we know (laughs) and and we need to do more than just unionize and unions and funny news shows are are certainly tools we can use but the real problem is we need to change the corporate culture and Mm -hmm. that's going to take a very long time and it's going to take a lot of work It's going to take a lot of boring work, and it's not going to be immediately obvious that anything is changing because culture takes a long time to change. Uh, A lot of these companies, they put out press releases going, oh, we've completely changed. We don't do that anymore. And it's like, well, you may have changed your policies, but the people who enacted those policies, uh, by and large, are still there. Uh, the employees who suffered from these policies are still there. The culture is still there. It takes years to decades for culture to change. And y- you can't just change them by rewriting the rules. You have to change them by healing the wounds that you have caused uh, with the people you've infected with it and either legitimately changing the minds of the people who made those policies or just getting rid of them and replacing them with better people. Uh, That is slow, hard work. And I hope that it happens at Activision. I hope it happens at Ubisoft. I hope it happens at EA. I especially hope it happens at Nintendo, which Mm -hmm. we don't hear about it as often because Nintendo seems to be much more closed-knit and quiet. They're not quite as open uh, as some of the other companies are as far as hearing about their scandals and their misdeeds and some people might interpret that as them not having scandals or misdeeds but they absolutely do there's just something about it that we don't hear about it as much it may very well be that they are not as egregious as Activision we can only hope uh, (laughs) in terms of how they treat their employees, uh, you know, sexual harassment, pay disparity, that kind of thing. But we also don't want to assume that they are that much better. We need to be watchful <laughs> and be aware of the consequences of the entertainment that we uh, enjoy so much. Yeah, I think that was wonderfully put. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it's, uh, I'm certainly not a, a person who speaks out about this often like uh i i certainly feel these things i support people who 
are activists in this, but uh, I'm just I'm not an activist. It's it's not who I am. So it's it's difficult for me to to step out and really speak out about this stuff. Hopefully, I I said it all correctly. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, speaking out is technically a, a bit of activism. So technically, <laughs> hey, only reason I'm quiet is because I I don't really have. I don't, I don't know enough about the topic. Like, I can say, obviously, it's morally wrong to union bust and and to mistreat employees and find loopholes to get out of looking after them. Beyond that, I don't know how to fix it other than to just condemn it. Condemning it is certainly a start. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> we'd have to do more than just condemn it. We need to actively change and... Uh... You know, we're all consumerists, so it, it, it's hard to uh, be a consumerist and rebel against the people that provide us things to consume. Making yes. it really hard to transition to the ne- rest of this episode. <laughs> Maybe we it's should like, just stop right here this week. It's like, <laughs> capitalism is bad. Also, these are all the games we want to buy. <laughs> these are what you can buy with your capitalist funds. Yep. <laughs> just let it be known, we do not ignore Nintendo's corporate behavior on purpose on this show Uh, when it feels significant and appropriate we will address it and any other time that we're not addressing it we still condemn it and we probably should vocalize that more than we do but we tend to get distracted by our games that we love to play so speaking of games that we love to play (laughs) splatoon 3 had its uh presentation in the past week and i know Sylvie and Rosalie are both huge Splatoon fans, so I'm sure this will be fun. Fun for them. Did you both enjoy the presentation? I loved it. For some reason, after I watched it, I just wasn't that excited, and then all of a sudden it just started Mm. ballooning the more I thought about it. I've rewatched that thing like three or four times now. Wow. Yeah, I I missed it initially and got some trickles of news from twitter and then i sat down and watched it and uh, my partner was making fun of me because i was like the volume was on really loud and i was like properly like leaning into the tv like oh my god (laughs) and then the minute some certain amiibos flashed up i was like cool that's what i want for christmas (laughs) (laughs) yeah I am uh, very. I, I I actually forgot I hadn't pre-ordered it yet. So when it was I was done, I pre-ordered it. So I'm I'm really excited, and it was very. There's a lot of really cool additions that I'm really happy about. Well, be sure to point that out when we get to them. But mm-hmm. uh, first up, we got a pretty good look at the new player hub, Splatsville. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the hub in Splatoon Two is based on Times Square. Is it? I thought it would was be, it. I thought it would be more like. Like Tokyo? <laughs> I got more of a Hong Kong vibe personally. Oh, I got that for the new one. <laughs> in Splatoon 2? That's what I'm talking about, Splatoon 2. Oh, 2. I, yeah. I think this is Plattsville, sorry. It always, I, I, what I liked about the hub in general is that it had that kind of um, like Dreamcast vibe where a lot of the cities feel like American, but they kind of also feel Japanese at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination. Um, yeah. I know Splatoon 1, that was based on Shibuya, wasn't it? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite yeah. literally Booyah-based. And this one, um, boy, I, I I wish I could I could say which city it's based directly on, because uh, I've seen so many you know, pictures of 
Asian metropolises that look like this. And I, I don't want to just say, you know, Asia, because there are so <laughs> many countries and, and so many cultures in Asia. Uh, can, can either of you point to a city that this is more bit directly based on? Because, uh, you know, just with the uh, how tightly packed in everybody's apartments are and then they've got the stores on the ground level that is just, that's a very distinctly cultural thing and i just i wish i could point to which which city it's based on hong kong is the one that stands out to me just with like the um densely stacked apartment buildings mm-hmm. yeah it could be aberdeen in hong kong as well um yeah which which i love because that the Aberdeen Hong Kong is named after the one here which is where I'm from. <laughs> it sometimes gets referenced in games quite a lot um, and if you look at some images of Aberdeen with like the really close-knit uh, buildings and stuff it could be that but it's definitely definitely giving me Hong Kong um, um, vibes. I just think it's cool that uh, so many of the games are, are so clearly built on um, specific cities and specific landmarks uh, in spite of the fact that uh, <laughs> if you played the story mode in the first two games and, and you got the unlockables, it's fairly apparent that human civilization has been wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 12,000 yeah. years. Mm-hmm. But they announced some new abilities, uh, Squid Surge and Squid Roll, to give a little more mobility to the... What's what's the mode called? Uh, you two played Splatoon a lot more than I have. What's it, the the travel really? mode, the inkling mode? There's the inkling oh, when they're in the human form. Squid mode, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, charge up your squid form before charging up the side of a wall, which is pretty great, because uh, that was one thing I've always felt, is like when you hit the walls in the first two games, it does feel like your momentum just kind of comes to a stop all of a sudden. And then picks up again when you get back to the top. So it's it's great that they've put an ability that lets you dive to the top. I think it's more that they changed the ability. Because mm-hmm. before you had to mash the jump button to go fast up walls. And now it's more mm-hmm. like a burst, like a sprint. Yeah, and they've also added the squid roll, which is a appears to be a, a 180 spin. You can... Uh, you go in one direction in the ink and then you do the squid roll and now you're going the other direction. Great for uh, getting away when you suddenly realize that you're in trouble. And it's got the, uh, semi-iframes or invincible frames. Be interesting to see some high-level play on that. Yeah. Like, I know that I know there are, I don't know if you could call it professional, but I know that there are tournaments with high-level players and mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see how this changes the metagame for those players being able to be invincible from enemy ink for a, a little while. Now, one of the biggest changes uh, as far as earning currency, uh, you now buy weapons using Sheldon licenses, which you earn from leveling up your profile and from consistently using the same weapon, whatever that means. I don't know if that's a if there's a cap to how many you can earn from the same weapon or if you just keep using the same weapon, if, if you'll just start getting an unlimited number of them the more you play. It looked like five. It looked like five? Okay. But you instead of spending the money you earn from matches, you use these licenses to buy weapons now. And your which weapons you can use are still tied to your profile, but if you want to spend a few extra licenses, you actually can buy a weapon loadout that's only available to higher level players, which I think is a nice change. Um, although I think it also is going to lead to 
large numbers of players mostly using the same weapon because it's going to get out there which is the best loadout in terms of you know the tiers that people love to make in, in these competitive games and once those tiers are out everybody's going to be buying the same weapon regardless <laughs> of their profile level uh, i'm worried that's going to lead to everybody in the match using the same few weapons but that happens eventually anyway so it's probably not a big deal in the long run I don't think that actually, in my experience, happened as much in Splatoon as it does in other games. Because different types of, or classes of weapon have different roles. Like mm-hmm. your your charger and your and your more frontline type of weapons. you got like the aero spray, which is really good for covering ink, but it's not so good in competitive. Stuff like that. Well, Splatoon is also very rigid in what you're allowed to use. Like, if you use this weapon, you can only get this special weapon with it. It's not like in Call of Duty where you can actually mix and match what you're using, which uh, really leads to homogenization. Everybody's using the same loadout in that. And this one, like, if there's a special power that's really good, you might be stuck using a slightly less good gun to use that special power because the best gun it probably doesn't have that special ability to go with it. Yeah, I, I find that people build their um, loadouts more on the main weapon anyway. Just in my experience, at least. Well, speaking of loadouts, there is a equipment loadouts now. They're called Freshest Fits. Uh, kind of surprising it took this long, but uh, you no longer have to uh, sort through all of your equipment, which the more you play Splatoon, the more of it you're going to build up over time. Uh, to equip your best gear for the situation you're in. Now you actually can have up to six freshest fit loadouts, which is a nice change. Uh, let's players have a little bit more speed in how fast they can uh, customize their characters. This used to be an amiibo yeah. feature. But is this something you've ever felt was missing from the first two games? Have you felt like, I, I wish I could suddenly change to a different outfit without having to spend a few minutes sorting through everything to do it? I thought you could in two with amiibos. You could like save a loadout to an amiibo. Let's assume not everybody has an amiibo. Okay. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so weird. Um, so I, yeah, I do think that the amiibos let you do that in two. I could be wrong, but it, it no, rings a bell. that's what they do in two. That's what I was yeah. saying. Yeah, it was an amiibo so, feature. Yeah, so it's cool that you don't have to buy a toy to do that. <laughs> but you should anyway because they're cool. <laughs> well, like I had an amiibo, but I, I couldn't be bothered to uh, use it that way. It's like I have to scan my amiibo. Nah, too much work. I have, to, I have to stand up. I have to go over to my shelf. I have to pick it up. I have to walk back. I have to scan the thing. I have to remember to put it back later. Just no, See, it's too that, much work. That's why they should have all come with uh, collector cards with NFCs in them. <laughs> and that's why people now do bootlegs of them. But that's, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is cool because sometimes I also just want to wear a different outfit in Splatoon because there's so many cool accessories that you get. So it'd be, it's nice to be able to like change them easily. I like that you can change the um, the abilities on them. The main abilities before you could just change the sub abilities. Oh really? Oh, I guess that is yeah. different. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. So now you can get the abilities that you actually want to use to the outfits that you think look the best. So <laughs> much more personalized. Yeah. It's gonna make different brands in the game tended to have specific abilities. So being able to tell what someone's abilities are going to be at a first glance is going to be a lot harder with this feature but i think this is something that's only going to affect like the 
really dedicated players. Now, they've also added in Anarchy Battles, which seems to be a solo queue mode, which is something I should be excited about, because I always solo queue for games like this. <laughs> I know in the past, uh, Splatoon's matchmaking has been criticized. Like, even if you matchmake in a group, you're not always uh, matched up with your friends on the same team. You'll be in the same match but it's as likely as not that you'll be fighting against each other <laughs> alongside each other, which is a really weird way to do group matchmaking. So it'll, I'm glad to see that they're doing uh, more options for matchmaking and, and have a specific system set up for solo queue players. That's really nice. Well, I think you could solo queue in the other games in ranked mode off the top of my head. I think that was the only option, yeah, but this looks like has a lot more options, and it's not just in the ranked mode. Yeah. This looks like it's its its own thing. Okay, I got the impression it was just a new winning spree-based matchmaking, like, ranked mode thing. If it was, I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's anarchy because Chaos won the last Splatfest in Splatoon 2, so everything is all, like, oh, yeah. chaos-themed in this one. That's clever. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, they've also added ghosts. Could either of you tell what the heck they were talking about with this ghost feature? Because I couldn't. I thought, so they're like holograms of your friends that are, I think, already in games or like starting games. So if you go up to them, you can like okay. join their games. I think it's kind of like, so if you've got like a PS5, you know, when you look at a game and there's like a player card and you can like instantly join, even if you haven't loaded Fortnite up, you can click, click join game and it'll load up Fortnite and put you in it. I think it's something kind of similar to that. I had no idea you could do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't know. I don't know how many of you, how many of your friends are going to be like in matches at a specific time for you to like make use of it. Because I only have like a select few friends that I always saw playing Splatoon two, like two as in not the game two as in as well as. But I think that's it. Sylvie, does that sound right? <laughs> Yeah, it, it just looks like a more visualized version of the menu of like, this person has a joinable lobby, this person's playing this game mode and is mm. looking for players, that sort of thing. But there's also like the pre, uh, like you can lobby up with friends and then go to the practice range with everybody, which is really cool while you're yeah, waiting for a, cool. a, a match. Okay, because when they called them ghosts, I immediately locked into, you know, like, racing ghosts. It's a recording of oh. what somebody else played with. And that was where I got really confused. It's like, w wait, how does this work? I'm, I'm playing with their ghost in a multiplayer match? How does that even work? But, okay, so it's <laughs> it's not a ghost. It's just it's just it's just what they've called it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> confusing okay so they've added locker rooms now it's a highly yes. customizable little space where you can uh show off all the stuff you've bought and i assume uh things that you've earned in the different modes which i think is a much more interesting use of this space but they didn't actually say but i would be very surprised like if you don't get something for finishing the single player mode mm. and you don't get something for you know like winning a splat fest or reaching a certain tier in the leagues mode like they, those rewards have got to be in there and you can show them off in there which I, I think is much more interesting than what they did show off which is you can go and buy things from a shop then put them in your locker it's like who cares <laughs> we well, can show off weapons and 
clothes, I think, in there. Mm. And you can take photos and um, put them in little frames and put them in your locker as well, which I thought was quite cool. Because a lot of the modes in Splatoon 1 and 2 gave you, like, gear or weapons as rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember Splatoon Octo Expansion, if you beat the secret boss, it gave you, like, a specific headpiece. Yeah, the gold headpiece, which... Yeah. I wore in every match after that. Because <laughs> uh, that fight was hell. But I'd love to show that off without, you know, just wearing it, if that makes sense. Like, it might not have good abilities, which I guess isn't as big an issue in this game anyway. Cool, because, um, again, if you use one of the amiibos, you got, like, Pearl's little crown, um, and you could wear it, and it was like an item. It'd be cool if you could, like, put her crown in your locker and be like yeah i've got pearl's crown because <laughs> it's really yeah. cute but you can also like put stickers on the door and customize yeah. the size and color of it and surely there'll be unlockables for that too uh it, it's it that became very obvious that this is made by the animal crossing team if you didn't already know <laughs> <laughs> and further customization with splash tags and victory emotes this is very similar to systems that are in other multiplayer-focused games where you can unlock, you know, backgrounds for your title card and titles you can apply to your name that you can unlock by playing the game and accomplishing certain tasks to either show off the super difficult thing you did or maybe just to show what kind of play style you emphasize. I usually like seeing these kind of things. I like it. It's just more customization options and, uh, Splatoon is definitely a game where you want to be expressive because it's mm -hmm. just colorful and vibrant and yeah so gimme <laughs> now most of these items will be purchasable through seasonal catalogs which um, rotate every three months uh, over the two years following the game so it looks like this game is going to have at least two years of, of ongoing support which is something to look forward to yeah I had a little bit of dread when they said seasonal catalogs because i was like oh no season pass but it's free it's included in the in the price uh, yes yes um it does sound like it's kind of like a battle pass where it's like it's this is the stuff that's available in this season of the game but it, all the things in it you you buy with in-game currency i just hope that it doesn't become a fomo situation like you can still unlock stuff from older catalogs if you start playing late or just miss something uh i will be very upset if it turns out that you can't get content from two years ago just because you didn't play it and they've also announced a new competitive side mode called table turf battle which is uh where you try to ink up the number of grids in the battlefield using cards that you play from a hand looks like this is a pretty robust side mode there's a a whole tournament you can work through that it looks like the other NPCs participate in it at some place somewhere in Splatsville it's set up this would be another place where I would expect there would be unlockables that you could get to show off in your locker if you finish the entire thing or hopefully it's a uh, not something that's mandatory because I'm not sure that everybody would enjoy Splatoon the card game <laughs> no I, I really like this because um there's a a DDR mini game in two, but it's like 
it's it's really bare bones and it's kind of mm. you, you don't really kind of know it's there unless you kind of like talk to the person in the dance mat in the lobby so adding like an actual fleshed out minigame makes a lot of sense and the fact you get little boosters to like open kind of reminded me of the pokemon trading card game that was on the game boy and uh, game of color which is like one of my favorite older nintendo games so i was like oh this looks kind of cool Splatoon just works like if they ended up bringing out a Splatoon game that was like Mario Party it would it, it feels fitting so like mini games just kind of adding that layer just kind of makes sense to me they could genuinely release a Splatoon rhythm game separately yeah. I hope they do <laughs> <laughs> and the stuff we've all been waiting for Salmon Run Next Wave because yeah. everybody loves Salmon Run don't we it's my I favorite do. yeah, it's, yeah. My, it's my favorite I love it it's the only thing it that was, I could get like top tier on, like the best level on. It was my favorite thing in Splatoon too. Uh, they've added lots of uh, a new area that you fight in, and lots of new bosses, of course. Uh, the big new addition is there's a King Salmonid that shows up at the end of some matches, apparently, uh, but not all. Uh, that's kind of a big raid boss that you'll have to work together to take down at once. Could be fun. <laughs> Yeah, like, I like how it was themed like a kaiju thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every few months, apparently, there's something called Big Run, which is when the Salmon Run level literally invades Splatsville. They didn't go into too much detail about this, uh, but that certainly seems like that could be something exciting to uh, happen alongside the Splatfests, is uh, everybody goes into the hub level and fights Salmonid for a little while. Could be really obtrusive and annoying, or it could be really fun. <laughs> we'll have to see uh, how it goes when it actually happens, because I don't think they're going to explain anything more than they have. Yeah, it looks like they're keeping some secrets. And and the big change to Salmon Run is it is available 24-7, because I don't think I ever missed an opportunity to complain about Salmon Run only being available during certain times in Splatoon 2. Those times were usually when I was either at work or when I was asleep, so <laughs> I was always annoyed about that. Uh, Salmon Run in Splatoon 3, you can play whenever you want, like it's a video game you paid money for or something. It's bizarre, but happy to hear that. Yeah. I guess it will still rotate for, like, the weapons and maps and stuff. One part of me is annoyed about that because I would always get stuck with a weapon in Salmon Run that I don't know how to use or I don't like. But at the same time, that's pretty much the only time I'm going to use, like, a paint roller because I just I don't like paint rollers and I refuse to use them <laughs> in the main competitive mode. So it's nice that Salmon Run forces me to use these things I would normally not use. Yeah, I was always bad with the the charges. Yep, and the, the buckets. I can't use them. Oh, I love the buckets. <laughs> oh, tri-slosher. <laughs> and there's a story mode. It exists. Uh, they didn't explain much about it. Uh, what little they showed of it looks pretty similar to the story mode from Splatoon 2, which is pretty disappointing to me. Uh, actually, I, I canceled my pre-order after watching this video because I <gasps> just didn't see myself playing this game all that much. My interest in this game was always predicated on the single-player mode being more than what the single-player modes in Splatoon 1 and 2 have been. What they showed here gave me the indication that this is another completely multiplayer-focused game, and I'm just, I don't want to spend money on it just to play it for a few days and then 
and not play ever again, which is what happened with Splatoon 1 and 2. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm not even getting this game. Oof. I know, there goes my um, saying that we should all play the <laughs> Salmon Run, Guess we can't do that. Uh, Salmon Run, they should just release as a free-to-play game. It'd be good for the player numbers. <laughs> Especially since you can't even use your customized items in Salmon Run anyway. So, like, it's not like the free players would be missing out on anything. Just an idea I'm throwing out there. <laughs> and they have plans for large-scale paid DLC. What exactly that means, we don't know. They showed some characters in silhouette. Maybe people who know more about Splatoon can recognize who those characters are, because I couldn't Hello, tell. Marina. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they also said for the story mode it was the last of the trilogy of the story yeah. which is really interesting that they kind of mentioned because does that mean the next Splatoon will even A, will it exist and B, how different will it be will it just have a new story that starts off focused on a different character or be something completely different um, will it even matter <laughs> like we know what Splatoon is. It, it's Turf Wars. That's what Splatoon is. Splatoon 4 will come out. It will have a single-player story mode, I'm sure. I don't think it'll be anything more robust than what we've played so far. Like When they said it was the end of the trilogy, I was like, what trilogy? Nothing has happened in these past three games. <laughs> oh, you're going to upset the Splatoon fans, and by that I mean me. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I like it. It's like about the agents and stuff. The bosses are fun. The bosses are really good. Splatoon 2 actually has an, an excellent final boss, uh, the Octo expansion, even more so. These games don't have plots. Don't don't try to tell me they do. They don't have a plot. <laughs> they don't have a plot, but they have world building. Yeah. They do. Really yeah. fascinating world building. Um, Octo expansion was the best mm-hmm. by far in that regard, but... Yeah, I, I was hoping that Splatoon 3 would be a continuation of that, but it seems like it's more of a continuation of 1 and 2. I'm hoping that the DLC will be just as challenging as Octo Expansion because that, that is one of the best games or DLCs, I guess, that I've ever played. I, I adore that game. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fantastic. It was uh, certainly in comparison to the base Splatoon 2 campaign, which was fine it's like they even say in this presentation if you haven't played splatoon anymore the campaign's a great way to practice all these weapons like (laughs) yeah that's pretty much what the story mode is it's training mode that's what it is (laughs) yeah it's a bit of a shame because i remember the teaser trailer showed like the like desert and things and made me think oh is it it's like story mode going to be like open world and then you you eventually stumble on the hub and you can leave the hub and go to areas like in an open world game and i was kind of intrigued if that's what they were doing but it's obviously i don't think that's what they're doing um, but they might be leaving that to do that in the future i don't i don't know i'm not gonna hold my breath on that <laughs> i think the switch is being pushed to its limits yeah yeah which you can see on some of these multiplayer maps that they announced that is just stuff animating at less than half right <laughs> yeah that was weird the little jellyfish people were like stuttering and i was like oh no <laughs> that's not good now every splatoon game has uh its musical performances that play during splatfest performed by new artists in each game in this one they're called deep cut and the uh, gimmick this time is there's actually three of them instead of two one of them is a a giant stingray who only says i but somehow everybody understands what he says where we uh sold on deep cut from what little we saw here or is it going to take some time to uh 
overtake Marina and Pearl. I just fell in love with Shiva straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love them. I think they're really cool. I know a lot of people are like, oh, all they do is add a new team and they look similar to the other one. But I was like, nah, I think they're cool. <laughs> the cool thing is, is the names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a Shiva is a, like a collective noun for a group of sharks. And Fry oh. is the same for eels. And they actually have, like, eel and shark-themed, like, earrings and stuff. Is Big Guy a group of manta rays? I think Big Man is just, like, Big Manta. manta. I don't uh, know. Not, not uh, as thoughtful. <laughs> I, like, I like how they're continuing the wordplay, though, because I always find it funny that people go, Cali, Marie? Oh, calamari! <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that was kind of the point. Let me fry you up and eat you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the guy that runs the food truck that's literally, like, fried, which always disturbed me. <laughs> yeah, crusty Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Who is back, which is actually kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah, the app is back. Mm-hmm. Now, because uh, the musical group has three members this time, this means Splatfest will now have three options instead of two. And Splatfest will culminate in tricolor turf wars where the winning team of four players plays against two teams from the other two teams that didn't have as many votes in a two, four versus two versus two match. No. So it. it- I, I had to figure this out because it's not that clear. Um, so, say Splatfest is 24 hours. Uh-huh. The first 12 hours will be four versus four. And whatever team you're on and whatever other team it is, it'll be random between the two other teams. And then whoever's winning after that 12 hours has the 2v2 against them for the last 12 hours. Okay, but how do they determine who wins? Like, I know we can't even answer this from the video because the video is not clear. I'm just, I'm asking out loud. How do we determine who wins? Like, uh, do the two smaller teams win collectively if they get more of the map covered? Or is it... Yeah, they actually, you see the percentage in the top bar while you play this one. So whoever's got the largest percentage wins. That's what it looked like to me. It just seems like the four-player team would just have a huge advantage there, no matter how many. Well, they start in the middle, and they're being attacked from both sides. Okay, but there's still twice of them versus the other two teams, so it just seems like... Well, it's still 4v4, it's just the other two on either side are just... Yeah, but just with the ratio of it, it's four to two to two. That's literally setting the map up. One team gets 50%, the other team gets 25% to 25%. That's why the competitive balance works otherwise in the four versus four matches because it's 50 to 50. Like the math is stacked against it's still the smaller teams, but it's not. It's 50 to 25 to 25. And that is numbers that the smaller team cannot recover from. Uh, it doesn't matter how many blue shells you give them. I just I, I don't understand how that's going to work, which is why I think the two smaller teams, despite being separate, are going to be working together. That's that's how I think it's going to work. That, that's what they said in the trailer. Is like, it, can they work together to to basically grow up on them? Yeah. 
hopefully because like otherwise the math just does not bear out and i think that's just gonna be a complete disaster <laughs> otherwise <laughs> i think if you're looking at it percentage wise yes but again they have to defend two fronts they're in the middle so I'll, it really it's not going to be four versus two really it's going to be two from the four team versus one team and then two from that same team against the other strategically so it's kind of like two turf wars at once we know how much strategy randoms use in this game. That That's how it'll always work out. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. They'll, they'll probably tweak it because uh, they always tend to tweak the rules for Splatfests and how they determine winners and votes and stuff. Well, and the last big announcement is there's going to be a Splatfest world premiere August 27th where everybody can download a free client from the eShop and play Splatoon 3's first Splatfest. Uh, almost a full month before the game comes out, I think. It's a. Splatoon uh, 3 is out in September, isn't it? September 9? Okay, so two weeks before. Yeah. And you can yeah. you can um, pre order the free demo like now so that it'll download yeah. on the day. You don't have to wait till the actual 27th. But it looks like this is taking the place of Splatoon 2's global test fire, which was their oh, yeah. uh, stress test of their servers. I hope this works out well for Nintendo because <laughs> uh, doing your stress test at the same time you're doing your promotional Splatfest, I uh, don't know how well that's going to work. I distinctly remember in both Splatoon 1 and 2 during their stress tests having a lot of difficulty even connecting. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, this won't get the game yeah. off to a bad start. Well, I'm excited. Um I don't know what team I'm going to pick. It's probably going to depend on friends, but... <laughs> I'm excited for the Amiibos, too. Don't forget about the Amiibos. Oh, yeah. You've got a small fry Amiibo. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's the one I'm, I want the most. Well, I'm going to get all of them. I'm only missing, like, two from the actual... All the Splatoon ones that are just different colours of pre-existing ones. So I'm still going to try and get every Splatoon Amiibo because I love Splatoon so much. But I'm so excited because... Uh, like I think we've mentioned before, it feels like amiibos are being kind of like flushed out a little bit, and they're kind of trying to like stop doing them, or it just feels like they don't really care about them anymore. So I was really surprised um, that we're getting three, and I'm so I'm so happy. I'm 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 hoping we'll get one of Deep Cut as well, because in the past, like later down the line, we got one of um, Mina and Pearl, and we got one of Callie and Mary, and they're actually like my favorite ones because they're all glittery and sparkly. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm really excited. And they come out in, it says the holidays, so... Holiday season, yeah. Yeah, so I'm hoping, like, early December time when I'm just going to pre-order all. I'm guessing we'll get another three-pack for the DLC, like we did with Ooh, the yeah. expansion. And then after that, we'll probably get the idols. I've even got the, um, I imported it from Japan. It's like, it's, um, Japan did these paper displays for your Amiibo. You, like, prop them up. It kind of looks like a pop-up book. And the one I have is of like one of the stages in Splatoon, and it has actual like little areas for your amiibos to go. So it looks like they have like a little, like a little level. Or, and I'm like, they need to do more of them. But also, I'm just excited to have like totally this like overflowing <laughs> with Splatoon amiibos. <laughs> yeah, I got those two, and like the one based on the Squid Sisters stage, you could put your 3DS in and play a video, and it looked like like the stage. It's so cool. I, I love it. That. We're like gushing over Splatoon and Andrew's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there'll be more. I know. Just wait till it comes out and then 
the entire episode will be worse. <laughs> so let's move on to what we played this week. <laughs> Waiting patiently. <laughs> Bless you, Andrew. All right, so I'll start out with Two Point Campus. This is a sequel to Two Point Hospital, or, or a spinoff, if you even want to call it that, where Two Point Hospital was a hospital management simulator. Two Point Campus is a university management simulator. Even though it strongly resembles Two Point Hospital in you know, graphics and interface, they actually did build this game entirely from scratch. So anything that they made to resemble Two Point Hospital was very much on purpose, but the game actually plays very differently. The biggest change is it operates on a yearly schedule that follows uh, from class to class. Each university that you visit uh, specializes in a specific class, like the first one uh, does what's called Scienceology, which is just generic science. Uh, The second one is a culinary arts school. The third campus is a robotic engineering school. The first year that you run, you just have your one class of students. Then the second year you run, those students move on to their second year of classes, and then you get another year of first-year students. So the school grows over time like that. The main focus on the game is the students and their needs. Like Two Point Hospital was very staff-focused. Most of what I was trying to do in that game was uh, have the staff up to where they needed to be to handle all the patients coming in and that was where most of the challenge was was getting the staff to do what they're supposed to be doing and having enough of them to get it done two-point campus goes the other direction where it's much more student focused i'm not spending quite as much time focusing on my staff like um, in the first year that any of my schools are running, I can usually get away with only having one or two teachers, one to teach the classes, then another one to uh, tutor the students who are not getting as good grades as the others. And the students need things like housing. You need to have one bed for every five students, which is totally accurate to the uh, university life (laughs) Uh, in terms of overcrowding that's a joke anyway uh you've (laughs) got to keep your students entertained so you can have like student common rooms where they can gather uh just to relax and to eat food and things like that and you can also build a student union which actually organizes activities that happen when classes are not in session and you need the classrooms of course that are where all the students do all their learning and depending upon what you're doing they might need multiple classrooms and some of the equipment that goes on them can be pretty expensive and like when i get my second year of students and i'm trying to accommodate two years of students uh, i i need to build more classrooms so i'll have multiples of the same classroom and that's that's really where the the difference is between the two games in two point hospital i'm trying to build enough to keep my staff up to where they need to be to handle all the patients. Uh, Two-point campus is really just bypassing that, and I'm building things to directly serve the students. And the the staff are also part of that, where they, they just operate the rooms instead of being the middleman between me and <laughs> helping the patients. That's, that, that's like the best way I can explain. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the grades are the main thing like you see your grade point average 
of your current classes at the bottom of the screen at all times. You want it to be fairly high because uh, in addition to running out of money, if your great students are failing and start dropping out, that can also get your university shut down. And you can do things like, as I said, hire tutors. And I can bring up the list of all my students and I can see what their grades actually are. And at the press of a button, I can send all my D and F students off to visit a tutor to get their grades up. But other than that, just keeping the students happy, you know, like get, getting them clubs that you can build. There's like one club you can build that makes them walk faster and another club you can build that makes them so they can sleep on their feet. Again, very accurate to university life. I haven't played too deep into it. The uh, two-point hospital was a pretty long game and two-point campus, I'm sure, is at least as long. But I was highly looking forward to this just based off two-point hospital, which is a great game and is a great switch port. And two-point campus seems to be about the same. Uh, I'm pretty happy with what I played so far. Now, we were supposed to talk about this last week, uh, but we ran into a time issue. So the Mario Kart 8 Track Pack 2 came out. So there's two new cups out. There's the Turnip Cup with the New York Minute, which is dropped in from Mario Kart Tour, uh, obviously set in New York. Uh, and like the other Tour city-based uh, imports from... The first track pack, this one is actually multiple races from Mario Kart Tour that have been combined together, and each lap you follow a different route through the city. This felt like a fairly strong one. Like, uh, did, e did either of you have anything to say about this level? I really like it. It does definitely look like it's got the visual upgrade. Um, it looks like that. I'll get it out of the way now. It looks like they've taken the feedback in and actually even changed some stuff in the old maps but um i really like that this one city at night wet patches on the road that reflect light uh lights everywhere drive through central park rockefeller center times square uh other things in new york i'm, I'm not <laughs> from there <laughs> you did better than i did i would not have recognized rockefeller center <laughs> although it is kind of disappointing in the last leg of the race you go along this little stretch of road that has taxi cabs that are just sitting in the middle of the road like blocks they don't even move like it's the same thing that happened in coconut mall in the last patch or in the last pack which they have since patched those cars now move but oh. now they've put these taxi cabs in here that just sit there it's just like <laughs> make the cars move or don't put the cars in <laughs> it just it looks fake it looks so fake but anyway now, here, here's a tra track I know is going to be a point of contention, Mario Circuit 3 from Super NES. Now, I really like these courses that are adapted from the Super NES version. There was one in the base Mario Kart 8 game that was silly because uh, it's just these brightly colored walls of bricks with these super plain brown roads going in them. But it's a really faithful adaptation of the super nes course tracks i i think they're funny <laughs> so i don't think everybody feels that way well i like them because i'm quite nostalgic for the first mario kart especially like hearing the music and seeing the like rainbow colored bricks so whenever they're included i'm like yay <laughs> childhood yeah the music in this one's actually it's so faithful to the original but the the drummer is just having a ball it's <laughs> so good uh, as for the track, it's simple. 
But on 200cc, oh my god, it's fun. 200cc and fun, that does not compute. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> we should also mention that on, on New York Minute, the jazz track on that is just, it's great. Yeah. Like Mario Kart 8's mm-hmm. jazz music is great throughout, but the, the track on New York Minute is extra special good. Okay, well, I was kind of counting on one of us, at least, to hate Mario Circuit 3. That turned out not to be the case. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've but. seen a lot of opinions online about it. Um, it's fine. It's not the most exciting one, but it's it. you can find fun yeah. on it. And the next one, I think, is a, a dark horse uh, in the series overall, Calamari Desert from Mario Kart 64. Uh, this has quite the surprise in it for its third lap. Did uh, anybody freak out about the third lap twist in this. Yeah, I, I got run over. <laughs> <laughs> but then as a kid, I, in the actual N64 version, I used to like drive, try and drive with the train anyway. So, <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something everybody's done in Mario Kart 64 at some point. Mm-hmm. Just in, in in desperation of finding anything fun to do in Mario Kart 64, they, they drive <laughs> around the train track in Calamari Desert instead of following the actual course. Nothing happens. There's no real point in doing it. Uh, it. It's slower, significantly slower than just following the track. But people have done it. And this version of the track just codifies that. And the third lap actually follows the train track. And the transition isn't the smoothest. There is a pretty blatant wall put in your face forcing you to follow the train track and there's there's a big ramp you can jump off of to get there that it doesn't look as elegant as it could that you can tell following it that this is not how the course was designed to be raced but it's something new there for nintendo 64 fans and i think it's a nice nod to uh things fans have been doing on that track for 25 years now (laughs) so it's actually something that they um did in Mario Kart Tour, where they had Calamari oh, yeah. Desert oh. 2. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to burst your bubble. Um, I mean, they did that because, you know, for the same reasons, but that red ramp is straight from Mario Kart oh, Tour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I really didn't want to believe how much of this game... The expansion pack was just copy and paste from Mario Kart Tour, but I guess that's the case. That's the... the... I'll just ignore that. <laughs> yeah. The way I ignore Mario Kart Tour's existence. <laughs> just edit it out of your brain. <laughs> backspace, backspace, backspace. Anyway, uh, <laughs> next track was Waluigi Pinball, which I know is a fan favorite. I actually was kind of disappointed by this. I'd never raced on it before. Uh, I thought they could have done a lot more with this than what they did. Oh my god, I'm not alone. <laughs> I think it's overrated. I yeah, think the concept's uh, neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that part at the end where you're on like the actual board with like all the bumpers and the balls that part rules and it's only a, yeah. like a 10 second segment of the entire track yeah that's the only part of the track that actually feels like a pinball machine the rest of it is just a long shoot which I think is supposed to be what the ball is going up and down on a pinball machine but like that's yeah, it's most the of the course and if you played a pinball machine, you know the plunger track is only about a second long and does not constitute most of the pinball machine. I just I thought this was just a lousy pinball-based level. I was not impressed at all. After so much hype over this level over the years, I was just really disappointed in it. 
they kept the sound effects in, which is nice. Uh, Mario Kart DS is my favorite Mario Kart game, so I actually mm. liked it, especially the music. I think it's like one of the best Mario Kart pieces of music since Mario Kart has existed. And the DS game was one of the only games that focused on a lot of single player stuff. Any yeah, nod to the DS game, I get really excited for. Uh, so I just liked that there was like, oh yeah, remember Mario Kart DS and how good it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like this is definitely something that they could have added anti-grav to and played up with oh, the yeah. geometry of the actual track going down. Um, share the track with the actual pinball balls, kind of like um, Mario Kart 64 Rainbow Road mm-hmm. with the chain chomps. You know, there, there's a lot of things I could have done with it and they just didn't. And it feels like a lot of flash without a lot of substance to me. And then in the next cup, we had uh, first up Sydney Sprint, another one of Tour's city-based courses that changes. Uh, <laughs> every lap, you follow a different track through the city streets. I think we can expect uh, <laughs> most of the expansions coming forward to have levels like this. This is another one I thought was you know fairly strong. It has the, uh, uh, the Ferris wheel which I, reminded me a lot of the water park level in the base game, actually. That was mm. mostly what I was like playing this. I was like, this is a lot like that water park level. <laughs> Being Australian, I feel like I can talk about this one. <laughs> Please do. I don't know if you heard of the Sydney Opera House, but that's in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, which you drive up the stairs, which never felt right. You, know, you drive through the actual concert hall. And it's so bizarre because I've been in there for a Zelda <laughs> concert. Opera House, it, it, it's mostly set in Sydney Harbour. Uh, Lunda Park and Sydney Harbour Bridge are all there. You've got the Town Hall. I think there's a, a museum in there as well. But the funniest thing is that Uluru, which is in the smack bang of Australia, middle of Australia, nowhere near Sydney, it's visible in this track. <laughs> That's like the the full length of Europe away from Sydney, for context. Wow. It's it's silly. The trains feel authentic. The roads are too wide for Sydney. Sydney's got really narrow roads because they built it for horses and then the population boomed. So uh, a lot of streets in Sydney are just one way. The city is known for its uh, tolls. And somebody, somebody did the maths that if you were to race on this track and actually pay the tolls where they exist in real life, you'd be paying like 60 Australian dollars. <laughs> but yeah, it's it feels authentic. Um, and I think this is my favorite track from this uh, oh, good. wave. Hmm. The, the only thing I noticed which annoyed me, I think it's like just before you do a lap, there's like a crowd of characters, but they're literally like cardboard cutouts. And it was really like annoying every yeah. time you saw it. And I... I don't understand because throughout most, I know you only see it for like a couple of seconds because you're racing through it, but a lot of when the characters are spotted about in this because it's a Switch game, they're still 3D rendered. So it was it was a bit of a weird. I don't know if they'll patch it out, but it was like every time I was like, oh, they look weird. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, it's in the concert hall and it's really distracting. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the fairies, of course. Yeah. Okay. I think that's everything off the top of my head. <laughs> And next up, we had Snowland, which is from Super Circuit on Game Boy Advance. Uh, the past Game Boy Advance tracks on 
Mario Kart 8 have had pretty impressive conversions. There was Cheese Land and Ribbon Road, just for starters, which if you played those, you probably wouldn't guess that they were originally Game Boy Advance tracks, but they were. Snowland doesn't have quite the dramatic transformation, but there is a pretty cool idea here where it's like an elevated track where you start off racing on this frozen lake, uh, and then you go up this fairly noticeable hill and you're racing around on the snow dunes above the frozen lake and if you're not careful you can fall off which is not fun i thought this was a, a strong course not not super memorable as some of the other mario kart 8 snow levels but uh, considering what they were working with and apparently the budget they're working with i thought this was a pretty strong effort it's a cute track um game boy Advance is probably my favorite mario kart in retrospect this doesn't really resemble i, I mean to be honest None of the Game Boy Advance remasters <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> resemble. The concepts are there, though. The spirit is there, and I appreciate that. But a lot of the shortcuts are taken out. A lot of them are just completely uh, contextualized, like Ribbon Road. And seemingly this one, originally it was just a snow track, an ice track. And now it it's was, got this, It was like, just a track bridge. colored white. <laughs> it, literally. So I, I love the glow up, but the concept is really what got remastered, not the track itself. And then we had Mushroom Gorge taken from the Wii, which is a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a track that has mushrooms around it <laughs> that you bounce on top of <laughs> in a few places, especially through a, a cave system. Uh, judging by the Twitter reactions, this was probably the most popular course, maybe just because of the Wii nostalgia, I don't know. Reception was positive, especially since uh, a pretty infamous shortcut was preserved here. Oh, yeah, the starting mushrooms, I think, which was taken out in 7, I want to say. Oh, okay, that must have been why people were so excited about that shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this one. It's a solid one. It looks pretty. I love what they did with the cave. And they just made the crystals glow, which is, I think they did in Choco Mountain as well. And then last up, probably the... Uh... Most exciting thing in this was Sky High Sunday, which is a kind of original track. The uh, di the video has a, a little text blurb in it that implies this track is meant for Mario Kart Tour, but they're releasing it first here. I wasn't crazy about this track. It's really simple geographically. It's basically just a a loop, a really narrow loop, but you fly through most of it, which is something to be said for at least compared to the other tracks which are mostly on the ground i i w wanted this to be more than it is i wasn't that impressed by it same um it is in tour now mm, already wow <laughs> they got that technicality the entire track is anti-gravity yeah that that too but th uh, there's not much track to be anti-grav on though so it's, <laughs> no. it's hard to be especially notable it's just frustrating that we're telling Nintendo we want more anti-gravity on these maps. And then they're like, okay, well, I have an entire track. It doesn't add anything to it, but shut up. <laughs> it seems like a waste of a theme as well, because the theming's really cute with, like, desserts and frosting and ice cream, but they feel like they didn't really do much with it. <laughs> yeah, I like that you start in a fridge, but everything else, like, I, I don't like how they... There's that part at the start with like the um, the staircases and the rails and all of the ice cream shops are just like copied and pasted and duplicated mm -hmm. all the way up. I don't, not a fan of that. 
Now this gives eight new tracks, which is a pretty good amount. Remember there's 48 tracks in the original release of the game. So eight is nothing to sniff at. By yourself playing solo, you know, you can get three gold star trophies in 150cc, mirror mode, and 200cc, and then there's new time trial ghosts to beat. That's that's a couple hours to keep you busy there, but as ever, I think the real value in, in this is for the ongoing multiplayer mode, like in the long term, just having more tracks to play in that that pop in suddenly over time. Uh, just keep that mode fresh and keep it alive, which I'm sure is the real reason that these tracks are being added in. All the, the tournament modes and the time trials, I don't think Nintendo actually uh, expects that to be the real selling point of this. It, it's all to just to keep the multiplayer mode alive longer while they work on Mario Kart 9. I appreciate them doing it because I love the game. It's fun to play. But there is a small part of me that's like, I wish they put, they could have put a bit more effort into remastering some of these. Uh, I don't care about the graphics, more gameplay. Yeah, and just feeling less hacked together like Calamari Desert kind of felt to me. Mm. Maybe we'll feel more positively. I don't know. I think we felt pretty positively about this. I don't I'm just, uh, <laughs> I think Sky High Sunday, we just got off to a, a negative ending. <laughs> <laughs> Think, I mean, I can say a positive. It's nice having nice new things when you're playing multiplayer with friends and you just choose random. Just a little bit more variety, you know, the ones that you know because you've been playing them for nearly 10 years. <laughs> and then these new flashy ones. It's neat. I, I wish that they would add a feature to sort tracks, not by cup, but by game of origin. So that you could just play like all the... N64 yeah. tracks yeah. or all of the GameCube tracks. You can do it by selecting single races, but it's still it'd still be nice to have more things to like complete. I'm I'm a sucker for like checklists. As soon as these came out, I did everything on every cup and got three stars mm. and like 200 CC reverse whatever. But once that's done, I I probably won't revisit this game a lot until the next wave comes out. You don't play the multiplayer much. Not in, like, random lobbies. I'll play with friends. Even that, you know, gets tiring quickly. You know, with a game like hmm. Splatoon or Fortnite, you're always unlocking something new every time you play. Yeah. Mario Kinda. Kart doesn't have that. <laughs> it's why, I like, although Andrew might really majorly sigh, I, I like um, Mario Kart Tour because you get all the cool character outfits and there feels like there's, like, things in there I wish they added mm. the eight because it just even though the dlc is cool it's like cool for new oh, new courses do them okay cool i'm gonna stop playing it now and then oh new courses gonna play them for like an hour oh done it okay next <laughs> whereas yeah there's just the tour yeah. mode is really fun mm -hmm. where it's like every two weeks it refreshes um what tracks are in there and yeah. i like the, and the score attack thing that would be really fun in eight as well yeah i'm hoping they add it to nine because I, I i'm i like eight i got it because it's mario kart but i still there's something about mario kart eight the one the original one and this one that just feels quite empty to me and i just feel like i, I love kart racers but i love when they have a lot of varying things to do other than just like it's why i like the ds one because there's all those missions and you have to do all these certain things 
that's why I actually find myself playing the the mobile app more because there's all they kind of add all these things to it. Well, it's got the mission mode in there, in tour. Yeah. Like, and I like that. I like when you complete um one of the new tours, like it it ranks you with all your your friends on it as well. There's just all these little cool little details which I like, and you can get Waluigi in a cool like Halloween Dracula outfit, and it's really cool. Ah, <laughs> uh, I absolutely adore the um Rosalina in the witch outfit. Yes, yes, I like that. I I wish there were some. I know there's a a lot, some customizable stuff you can do in eight, but I wish they just kind of. I wish they took more from tour apart from like stages, but they're probably yeah. saving that for the next one. I hope. I imagine. Hopefully. Okay. Well, speaking of multiplayer, Sylvia has been playing Splatoon on Wii U. Why don't you tell us about <laughs> that? Ironically, I've been playing the story mode, not multiplayer. <laughs> so I should have specified that. Is the that, multiplayer sorry. still running? I think so. Well, I know the Miiverse is dead, which I'm sure has just made the world feel empty. Yeah. Because that was the best thing about Splatoon 1 was everybody's Miiverse or showing up all over the levels and everything. But they shut down Miiverse, so I'm sure that just leaves Splatoon 1 feeling just absolutely barren in terms of personality, because all those boards are showing generic art, or are they just blank? I think they're, like, preloaded art, like the developers did mm. stuff, and it's just in the files. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to play the campaign again, because uh, I never revisited it after finishing it when it first came out. Which, off the top of my head, I think was 2014. That was a long time ago. Um, 2015, maybe? It was the year I graduated college. I remember that. <laughs> but I don't even remember what year that was. Shows how important my college education was to me. <laughs> long time ago. Eight, seven or eight years ago. It still holds up. The campaign. Uh, it's still fun. Uh, every level has like a, a theme. You have to go around the hub world to find the levels first, which I really liked. And then each level introduces a new element and then focuses on that element. And it really does have that... I, I like to call it the Valvian uh, game design, like Valve. They have this tried-and-true method of teaching the player new things by introducing the mechanic in a safe area and then getting you to use it in different ways to kind of experiment to try and figure things out on your own without explicitly telling you. Splatoon doesn't really handhold, which I was actually surprised by. I Because this is meant to be a game for kids, ultimately, or accessible to kids. But the game design is very much based on this assumption that you'll figure it out. And some of the, the solutions, even I got, you know, stuck on briefly on a few times where I just couldn't figure out what to do because I was thinking too rigidly and it just really wants you to experiment. I'm going to just assume that people understand what Splatoon is at this point where you got your inkling, uh, they shoot ink, you can swim through the ink and hide in the ink, uh, climb up walls. Uh, not every surface is inkable, which also just feels very portal-ish. I'm uh, going to keep comparing this to portal because it, I feel like it does actually have a lot of similarities in presentation. Uh, each level feels like its own removed puzzle, but uh, in Splatoon it feels a bit more like a gauntlet 
the levels are just super short though uh i started splatoon 2's campaign a little bit yesterday as well and i was just surprised to find how much longer those levels were in comparison ironically it feels like splatoon 1 would be better on a handheld and splatoon 2 would be better on a exclusively hand uh home console just because of the level length disparity yeah i i guess i just really wanted to kind of document my uh experience going through the campaigns again leading up to splatoon 3 i just had that itch to just ink stuff it looks really good as well i mean the wiki was a powerful console uh in its own right going back eight years in nintendo years is a huge leap in technology and it still looks fantastic if you have the opportunity to play it obviously please play it it is very interesting game wise um sound design is just unique it fits the theme of everything being kind of seafood themed it's just a, a really well put together game experience and uh, i guess the other half of what i wanted to talk about is it's really disappointing that if you don't have a wii u you can't play it so i guess it's a a minor note on you know nintendo they're probably never going to port this to the switch why would they it would have to be a dlc of just the campaign at at best but because it's got its own multiplayer component and we're already gonna have two splatoon games on the switch already this is probably going to be stuck on the wii u for the longest time and that's really sad especially because they reference stuff that happens in the first game in in two and seemingly three and the average player just probably has to watch cutscenes on youtube yeah that's a good point that's something i never actually thought about and especially we know how bad nintendo is at preservation <laughs> that that is really sad that a lot of people will might still be missing out on that experience because I, I played the first one on my wii u that's kind of why i got a wii u and when i played it it was during a kind of I just got out of hospital and I needed to pick me up and it was just the perfect game to cheer you up and that's why I still love the series but it'd be really sad if people just don't get access to that opportunity especially because something I don't think we use are necessarily quite expensive secondhand but as resellers are totally just attacking the game market they probably will eventually be quite hard to get a hold of yeah and um while most of the games on switch have been ported games like Smash Brothers and Splatoon, all we're going to get is like an enhanced uh, sequel. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get that original game. And for the average person, that might not be a big deal. But for, like you said, the sake of game preservation and ease of access, yep. all that really leaves is emulation. And uh, I know that's a great topic, so I won't get too into that. But, <laughs> uh, it's a shame because it. In its own right, it's its own fun game with its own unique feel to it. And um, most people are never going to experience it. They'll they'll have 2 and 3, an Octo expansion. And if they release a new console that isn't backwards compatible, you know, it's going to happen again. Which is interesting to think, you know, earlier we said that they said in the presentation for 3 that it's going to have two-year support. And I was wondering, like, oh, I wonder if in those two years we probably we we might not but we might have the next console or that night might be on the horizon so are they gonna have splatoon 3 enhanced whatever the next console version is what's gonna happen with that it's just it's gonna be 
a bit weird with that because the switch lifespan is coming kind of near at the end of a console lifespan especially in the next two years so that'll be interesting splatoon 3 struggling yeah that's like a fear i have as well (laughs) considering it's one of nintendo's biggest franchises now it's extremely popular in japan yeah um it just seems like an odd existence splatoon 2 to me always felt more like splatoon 1.5 yeah especially at the start of the switch's lifespan a lot of it its support especially from nintendo was uh wii u projects (laughs) like the biggest games at the start was breath of the wild that was a wii u port Uh, then they got splatoon mario kart 8 was a wii u port bayonetta 2 was a wii u port and donkey kong splatoon all all these really good games that came out on a console that few people owned and had a really bad reputation so even the people who were likely to play them didn't want to because it was on the wii u so i was surprised that splatoon 2 came out as soon as it did for just for starters like uh, i i expected a port of splatoon 1 more than i expected a sequel then you play it and it's really not much is different between splatoon 1 and splatoon 2 so that's why i call it splatoon 1.5 still a very good game very successful game very popular game like if you check the nintendo switch hashtag on Twitter, like, to this day, it's just Splatoon picture, Splatoon picture, Splatoon picture over and over. Super popular game. It's been very successful. Absolutely. I tend to agree with you. I think the biggest additions in 2 was uh, Salmon Run and... No, that's it. Um, <laughs> most most of the enhancements were in Octo Expansion. Well, like, the, the biggest... Like, the, the campaign felt like a, a better campaign than 2, which... And, Two's mm. campaign just felt like a sort of slightly polished Splatoon One campaign. Uh, Splatoon Three will be out soon, and you know, hopefully, it's there's there's more to it than what they've shown because really, it's just looked like more refinement of the multiplayer, which is why I canceled my pre-order because I guys I don't want to play that kind of multiplayer game. It's not that I don't want to play them; it's just I don't make time for them because the the time that i should be spending playing multiplayer games i'm spending uh playing games like what i'm gonna talk about next cult of the lamb uh cult of the lamb uh is uh you know a so-called roguelike game although i will say this game actually almost is a roguelike in that it's a randomly generated dungeon crawler you know most of the games it called roguelikes don't have dungeon crawling as part of them so they shouldn't be called roguelikes because they're nothing like rogue i'm getting mad let's settle down uh in cult of the lamb i play as the lamb who is the last surviving lamb who were all hunted down and murdered because of a prophecy that said that one of them would rise up and wipe out the dukes of the old faith who are the villains of this story there are four gods who live in this forest called the old faith and they act as anchors to this god that's buried in the underworld called the one who waits they capture the lamb the last of the lambs and murder the lamb who ends up in the underworld where they meet the one who waits who bestows upon them the red crown and sends them back to the world now immortal and with godlike powers and on a mission to start their own cult to empower the one who waits and 
kill the dukes of the old faith to free the one who waits and unleash him upon the world lots of fun it's a very dark game very thematically questionable i would say because this is a game that you are making your own cult and you are doing very stereotypically cult things like not not really like a cult as it actually is in the world but the the more of a satanic panic kind of cult the kind of things that people imagine go on in cults than and then actually do if you are sensitive to that kind of topic or if you are offended by it i completely understand and i was hoping that by playing this game it would have something to say about those kinds of perceptions of cults or it would subvert it somehow or it would just it would just be a comedy it would be funny it's really none of those things. We'll, we'll talk about that when I get to it. Uh, this game is divided uh, into two parts. First part, it's a dungeon crawler. As I mentioned, uh, dungeon crawling is called crusading. You enter up to four wings of the Old Faith Forest, and you go through them wiping out the heretics, which are all the wild animals and the worshippers of the, the dukes in these simple grid-based dungeon floors you go through multiple of them every time you visit at the end of multiple floors you fight a boss which is either a super powerful heretic or one of the dukes and you kill it when you enter a wing you get a weapon and a curse and every time you enter this is randomly chosen you don't get to choose what you get so if you are better or worse with some weapons, you're probably going to have a better or worse time in different crusades. Weapons are like swords and daggers and axes, and how they really work is they deal more or less damage at more or less attack speed. I found the axes are the ones I've been the most successful with because they swing slowly, but they deal a lot of damage, so I found it simplest just to run in hit an enemy once with the slow attack speed then run back out whereas with these faster weapons i found myself having a harder time getting all my attacks in before running out without getting hit i, I just i found it easier to get my head into a place where run in attack run out versus you know, run in attack 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 run out i kept messing up with the faster weapons didn't have a good time with it uh, and then there's your curses, which act like magic. They work in different ways. Some of them are projectiles. Some of them you have to aim. Some of them you have to time them in addition to just casting them in order to deal maximum damage. Some of them are melee, and they sit hit in a cone beside you or in a circle all around you. Lots of varieties in the curses. And they work through fervor, which is, is basically mana or mp and when you kill enemies they drop fervor and you can also find tarot cards spread throughout the dungeons that give you power-ups like they increase your attack speed they increase your movement speed they give you more health things like that in terms of difficulty this is not the hardest dungeon crawler i've ever played hitboxes on enemies are kind of weird the game is very graphically reminiscent of don't starve it's played like a 3d game played from a three quarters perspective but everything is using 2d graphics and that creates a dissonance sometimes i feel on where i'm swinging my weapon versus where the enemy actually is 
And the health pickups are actually pretty generous, especially for a, a dungeon crawler style game. Uh, I found the lower on health I am, the more likely health is to appear, which is pretty unusual. Usually in a game like this, I'm thinking like Enter the Gungeon or Binding of Isaac. Like health pickups are just withholding and whether they appear or not is completely random. It's not based on how low your health currently is. And speaking of Binding of Isaac, this game actually, I think, flat out copies the health system from that, where you'll find different colored heart pickups that have different effects. Like there's a black heart when you pick it up. When you get, when you lose that heart, it'll damage all the enemies on screen. Works just like it does in Binding of Isaac. I thought that was an interesting inspiration because Binding of Isaac is also a very darkly themed game having to do with religion but when you're done in the dungeon crawling sections then the game suddenly becomes a community management sim because you go back to your settlement where your cult is and you have to deal with all the issues happening there uh, early on you get to name your cult i named mine the willing because i thought that sounded benign but also sinister the more you think about it uh, and you have all of your followers that you have to deal with all of their needs. Like the first thing you do is you indoctrinate them. You can rescue them on your crusades and send them back to your settlement. And then you indoctrinate them into your cult. And then each one you indoctrinate has different needs. There's faith, hunger, and health. Every day you can have a sermon in your temple that you can use to increase your followers' faith. And that will have other rewards which i'll talk about in a minute uh, and you got to keep them fed you can either cook things using stuff that you've looted from the dungeons or you can start your own farm uh, and feed them with things that you grow day by day and they have health that you have to maintain as well if you don't keep your settlement clean then they'll start getting sick and you can send them to beds or housing to for them to recover uh, and all of this stuff you have to build, so you have to build their housing, you have to build the temple, you have to build the farm, and that's all done with resources you loot during your crusades. problem I've really been running into is when I've gone on crusades, if some of them have gone on for too long, then my followers' faith will empty out while I've been gone and one of them will rebel. When that happens, you can either just flat out kill them just to get them out of the way, but that will actually uh, affect the fates of other people. So you might have a chain reaction there where you just end up wiping out your entire cult because they don't believe in you anymore. And the other option is to lock them in a stockade and re-educate them every day. <laughs> After four or five days, I think, of re-education, then they'll be a fully willing member of your cult again. Like I said, this is a really, really dark game. And if you keep your followers alive long enough, they will die of old age. Uh, I found this to be mostly a waste because uh, I have to bury them to keep the body from decaying and getting my other cultists sick. And that takes up s space on the settlement, which is limited. If I played the game long enough, I think my settlement would just get overflown with gravestones. And if there is an option to do something with the gravestones, I haven't found it yet. Uh, but you can also do other things with the dead bodies. Uh, first thing I would recommend doing is actually 
unlocking the ascension ritual which will ascend that person to the afterlife and that gives him a big boost of faith to everybody else and prevents you from getting a corpse uh, or you can also just cut up the body into meat and then feed it to the other cultists which uh, will either make them sick or lower their faith or if you take the right perks as you're leveling up will act they'll actually approve of this very dark game uh the rewards in the game are where all those perks come from there are actually two different kinds of rewards when you're outside your followers will build up faith inside this giant monument to you and you can use that to unlock upgrades for the settlement and every day when you do the sermons if you remember to do them every day uh, that will build up faith within the lamb itself and you can upgrade the lamb's combat abilities uh in the in the crusades so building up your followers to high numbers and then getting them to deposit a lot of faith into both halves of the game are how you power up both your settlement and your crusades so you you, you can't neglect them you've got to take care of them because followers are resources they can either power up your levels so you can take on the higher level bosses and so you can get a bigger settlement so that way you can get more followers so you can take on bigger bosses it's a really nice loop there's a really steady feed of new perks and power-ups like i didn't really ever feel like i was going too long a time without unlocking something new to play with these perks and power-ups really let you pick what kind of cult you want to make you're going to be evil no matter what you're doing but like you can choose between either having a, a fast ritual where you will prevent your followers from eating for three days and that'll also stop their hunger meter from zeroing out or you can also choose to have the other kind of ritual where you can have a massive feast that'll top out everybody's hunger meter instantly which is really handy i've gotten a lot of mileage out of that one uh i've, I've mostly avoided the really dark stuff like just being able to flat out murder my followers for my own petty reasons uh, i'm being a fairly benevolent evil cultist leader but you know it's still it's that kind of game uh, there are quests that your followers can give you. Most of them are tutorials that just walk you through different aspects of the game. And some of them are side stories. Like there's one that I found where I have to help another cult that's in the area that worships the ocean. Uh, they've got something going on with their lighthouse. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, and then there are follower quests, which just give you reasons to go back into the other wings of the dungeons after you finish them. And after you've beaten the dukes in each section of the dungeon, it actually becomes an infinite dungeon after that, where you just keep going as far as you can. But again, as I said, if you're not careful while you're away on your crusading, your cultists can actually turn on you, and then you have to re-educate them. So it, there's a, a balance that you have to find there between crusading and maintaining your followers. Uh, this game if you haven't caught on yet, is pretty deliberately provocative, just apart from the fact that it's a cult simulator, basically. Nothing in it is explicitly Christian, and yet everything in it seems to be courting those ideas. Like, the lamb is often referred as, an, as another name for Jesus in many denominations. Uh, the loading screen and a lot of the iconographies are upside-down crosses uh, to unlock 
new perks for the lamb and for the settlement. I have to assemble tablets that look an awful lot like uh, the Ten Commandment tablets. <laughs> it's uh, they, they go places on this, and I don't know if they were doing that on purpose or if this is just coming from a place where a cult is automatically anti-Christian. Uh, I don't know which way they were really trying to go, if they even had an intention when they made these choices, or if this is just what they automatically thought of as being a cult. Because as I said, there's a, there's a lot of satanic panic stuff in this, which without getting too much into that history of it, the satanic panic was a lot of nonsense. None of it was ever happening, but a lot of people were convinced it was. Uh, performance, this game chugs a lot when it's saving, and being a roguelite-style game, it's saving a lot, which is unfortunate. And at other times, there are frame drops just because, which is a, a problem when you're dungeon crawling and you're trying to dodge enemy attacks. And multiple times while doing the cooking minigame, I've burned the food because the frames will suddenly drop and my button presses will not be uh, in the right zone to successfully cook. That's been kind of annoying. Turning off the screen shake I have felt has improved the game. There's an excessive amount of screen shake in this. Almost everything you do makes the screen shake and I found that turning it off just made it easier to see what was happening and was making it so things I thought were frame rate problems were actually just because the screen was rocking all over the place because I was swinging my weapon. Super annoying. And one time I went into town and my shrine had just disappeared. Apparently this is a known glitch. All you have to do is just leave the game and then re-enter and then your shrine will come back. But hopefully they get that fixed. The game has a roadmap on the main menu, a development roadmap but it has nothing on it. <laughs> it's concerning enough the game has a roadmap because that's usually a sure sign that the game isn't finished yet and still has a lot of work to be done. I actually haven't felt that way. I felt this is a pretty feature-complete game. So just the fact that it has a roadmap and then the roadmap has nothing on it, it's just, why is that even there? Just take it off and patch things in as you finish them. Super weird. So basically this game is a Venn diagram of dungeon crawlers and community management sims. If you happen to be in that overlapping circle, I think you'll enjoy this game. Uh, the problem is neither half of the game is really great. It's just passable. Like if one half of it was great or the other half was great, then the opposing half could get away with not being so great. But both of them are just, just fine. Cult of the Lamb is fine, which I'm disappointed to say because I was so excited for this game. But I I've downed half the Dukes now. I'm more than halfway through the game, and I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. What are we playing in the coming week? Rosalie, let's start with you. Uh, I'll be playing Kirby's Dream Buffet, which is coming out on 7-17th so I'm like midweek um, and it's basically looks like Kirby's version of Fall Guys <laughs> and okay. I'm very excited to play it. Sophie anything any plans for you? Uh, well I just finished chapter 4 in uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and it's getting weird so I, hmm. I really want to play more of that and uh, Splatoon 2 campaign hopefully move on to Octo expansion soon too. And I'll be playing Endling Extinction is Forever, that game that looks super depressing about a fox trying to keep her children alive uh, in 
the end times as far as whatever that means for a fox. So tune in for a tearjerker, I think. Thanks for listening to this episode of End Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. Also be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of these are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him at PlayCritically on Twitter and check out his long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com. You can follow Rosalie on Twitter at LilRecordGirl, L-I-L RecordGirl. And myself on Twitter at STWTWO and on twitch.tv forward slash Sylvie